0: I'd like to ask you, my friends, if you would please turn in your Bible now for the message to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. The Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we started a series of messages called Tremendous Truths from Jesus' Triumphant Entry into Jerusalem, to his triumphant resurrection. And basically we want to discover what Jesus taught in the last week, in the last week before his crucifixion and resurrection. We don't have time to look at all of the truths and passages pertaining to the last week of Jesus' earthly time before the crucifixion and resurrection, but we are looking at some of those special events. And in that time frame, Jesus told several parables. A parable is often defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is truth communicated by means of figurative language, as we sometimes put it. And one of the parables that he told is the parable of the great feast. What what Jesus is saying to us through this parable is very, very powerful and very relevant to your life and mine. Most of you know that this time of the year, when the Super Bowl football game is played, it is... uh, it is the most important football game of the year because it will determine who will win the championship. Well, I'm calling this message Super Bowl Truths from the Parable of the Great Feast. And the reason I'm calling it that is because they are Super Bowl truths in the sense that these truths are extremely important. They're, they're tremendously important because they affect you and me eternally speaking. Amen? So here it is, Matthew 22, beginning at verse 1. Jesus told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I, I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go, go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But, when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed the man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much incredible truth packed into this parable. I pray, Lord, that you would at least take some of that truth and help touch the hearts and lives of your dear people here at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene and our radio listeners, oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Let's make sure we have a clear understanding of a couple of things in the parable. To begin with, you can see it on the screen. This, the parable talks about a great wedding feast. And the great wedding feast basically represents heaven, represents the kingdom of heaven. And the parable, of course, talks about the king. And the king essentially represents the Lord, God Almighty. The main reason why a king and his son are here spoken of is to emphasize, to emphasize that this is indeed a a very important marriage feast. It is a royal feast, a royal celebration. And here is the first Super Bowl truth which impacts me. Here's a truth that impacts me from this parable of the great feast. The first truth is this. The Lord invites you and me to have a reservation in heaven. That is one of the essential essential and central truths of this parable. And we get this truth from the first three verses. In fact, the whole account, but from the first three verses especially, which say... Jesus also told them other parables. He said, "The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come." Now some of you might be wondering why verse 3 says, "When the banquet was ready." When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. Uh, this might be hard for some of us to understand, but in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish culture and customs of the first century and other centuries, when the invitations to a wedding feast were sent out, the, the date, strange as it may seem, the date and the time for the wedding celebration were not stated or given. And probably there, there are some cultures around the world where this kind of a practice to a certain extent still goes on. Now, why they operated like this, I honestly don't know. But basically, basically they would say something like, our son is soon going to get married. Please be prepared to come. P- please be prepared to come to the wedding and we'll let you know when the celebration will be held as soon as we are ready to go. All right? In a sense, people got two invitations. And verse 3 says, When the banquet was ready, he, the king, sent his servants to notify those who were invited. Those who were previously notified. Now, initially, only a certain group of people were invited to this wedding celebration. But when the king discovered they weren't coming, the invitation was then extended to everyone. Notice this in verses 9 and 10. Here it is, verse 9. The king says, now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. My friends, the good news is, just as the king invited everyone to the wedding feast, the Lord invites everyone, everyone like you and you up in the balcony, he invites you and me to have a place in heaven. He invites us to make our reservation for heaven. The eternal banquet hall. The eternal greatest, greatest wedding celebration. John three sixteen tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that whoever... Can be you and you and you and you and me. Each one of us who will believe. In the Bible, Second Peter chapter 3, the second part of verse 9 says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to go to hell, but everyone to come. To repentance. And Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are citizens of heaven. And so the question is, are you a citizen of heaven? Have you made your reservation for heaven? This means that you know that when your time on earth comes to an end... You will be in heaven with the Lord. Please make your, your reservation. How can you know that you are bound for heaven? Well, here are some ABCs. Here are some ABCs. How can you know that you're bound for heaven? Well, admit. Admit that you are a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Or in one of the older translations, it would say, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to admit that we are sinners. Have you admitted that? And then the B in our ABC is this. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died to pay the price for your sins. Romans 5, 8 declares, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. And then the C in ABC is this. Claim. Claim God's promises by faith. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Since we have been made right in God's sight, we have peace with God. Amen. My friends, I have officiated... And or I have attended many funerals in the last few months. And I want to plead with you today to make a definite decision. A concrete decision so that you know that you you have made your reservation for heaven. Please do so. Please do so. A, B, C. Admit, believe, and claim God's promise, promise of heaven by faith. Amen? Here's a second truth that strikes me as I reflect upon the parable of the great feast. Here's a a, a second beautiful truth, and it is this. The Lord's invitation is to a life of joy in the present and in heaven. This truth comes from the fact that Jesus used a, a wedding feast to compare it To the kingdom of heaven. He uses a wedding feast. And wedding feasts are supposed to be. Times and places of joy. One Bible scholar says. The invitation of God. Is to a feast. As joyous as a wedding feast. His invitation is to joy. To think of Christianity. As a gloomy giving up of everything. Which brings laughter and sunshine. And happy fellowship. Is to mistake its whole nature it is the joy that christians are invited and it is joy they miss if they refuse the invitation in fact jesus says in john chapter 15 verse 11 jesus says i have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be Complete your joy. And Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 declares, The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord. Now listen, I know as well as anybody that life is not always always easy. But nevertheless, you and I can still experience the joy of the Lord. Praise his holy name. And so the Lord's invitation for us is to a life of joy in the present and ultimately in heaven. Would you claim this joy? Claim this joy, the joy of the Lord. There's a third truth that strikes me as I reflect upon. It's a third Super Bowl truth that strikes me from the parable of the great feast. And it is this. Read it from the big screen. It is wonderful how patient the Lord is with us. Now I derive this truth from the fact that in the parable, the king gave the people at least three chances to go to the wedding banquet, but they refused. The probability is the Lord has most likely given each one of us even more. He has, in most cases, given us even more than three chances to come, to come to his eternal feast. He's given us different opportunities to admit that we are sinners, to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and to claim God's promise by faith. He's often given you and me opportunities to, to experience the ABCs I've, I've shared. In many ways, at different times and in different places, Jesus says to us, He says to each one of us at different stages in our lives, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. That is Jesus' invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, Jesus is patiently waiting for you to open the door of your heart and life to him and to say, Lord, I come. I come to your wedding feast. The good news is the Lord is, is patient with us. We see his patience throughout this parable. But verse 7, but verse 7 in the parable reminds me that we do not know. We do not know how long the Lord will continue to be patient with us. Look again at what verse 7 says. Verse 7 says, the king was furious. That he was furious that there were people refusing to come to the banquet. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Obviously we are told that the king in the parable got fed up. He got fed up with the people's lack of response to his invitations to the wedding feast. The king was also no doubt shocked, shocked by what Verse 6 says, Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. Uh, by the way, what, what or to whom is verse 6 referring to? Well, most likely verse 6 is referring to prophets, to prophets and and people like John the Baptist who preached and tried to get people to turn their hearts and minds towards the kingdom of heaven. But too often people wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen and they were often insulted, imprisoned, and sometimes killed for serving as God's messengers. They were killed for their faith. They were killed for their preaching. Now... What is verse 7? What is verse 7 referring to? Let's read verse 7 again. The king is furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Quite a few Bible scholars are very confident that verse 7 is actually a prediction of how the city of Jerusalem that Jerusalem would end up being destroyed in the near future. And sadly, the city of Jerusalem and the Holy Temple were destroyed. They were destroyed in 70 AD. It is believed that more than a million Jews, more than a million Jews who had crowded into the city perished. And as a political unit at that time, Israel ceased to exist when Jerusalem was demolished by the Roman attack, the Roman armies. Now, in all honesty, I don't think any pastor, I don't think any pastor or theologian or Bible scholar knows exactly how fully, how fully we should interpret verse 7. But it does. It does cause me to wonder if even though the Lord is wonderfully patient with us, I wonder if there is a limit to his patience. Verse 7 is telling me there is a limit to his patience. My friends, when you sense the Lord's Spirit knocking on the door of your heart, don't keep saying, Don't keep procrastinating. Don't keep saying, Lord, I'll commit myself to you some other time. Don't keep saying, some other time, Lord, tomorrow, 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 tomorrow may never come. Tomorrow may be too late. Instead, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, yes, Lord, I give my heart and I give my life to you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me take you to a fourth powerful truth, and it is this. Read it from the big screen. Be careful to not be so busy with the things of the present that you forget the things of eternity. This truth came to my mind from verses 3 through 5 where we are told at least some of the reasons why the people who were invited to the wedding banquet were told some of the reasons why they didn't go. Let me read, starting in verse 3. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were, who were invited, but they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, The feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. One to his farm, another to his business. Notice especially verse 5, which says, But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Think about that, those words. Notice that it doesn't, say, it doesn't say they went off. It doesn't say they went off to, to play golf. It doesn't say they went off skating or skiing or snowmobiling all day. It doesn't say they got together to play dominoes and eat aki and saltfish with the boys. And by the way, some of the men brought a variety of wonderful foods to the men's night out on Friday night. I was with the teens and I just had to help them eat a little bit of it. Verse 5, verse 5 says, Someone someone went to his farm, probably to do some work, and another went to his business, take care of business. There was really nothing terrible about what they did, but their actions do suggest that they were so busy with the things of the present That they had no time for the things of eternity. You got that? I came across a paragraph that I believe communicates this truth so profoundly. It is this. Here it is. It is very easy to be so busy with the things of the present... That the things of eternity are forgotten. To be so preoccupied with the things which are seen. That the things which are unseen are forgotten. To hear so insistently the claims of the world. That the soft invitation of the voice of Christ. Cannot be heard. The tragedy of life. Is that it is so often the second bests which shut out the bests. That it is things which are good in themselves which shut out the things which shut out the things that are supreme. We can be so busy making a living that we fail to make a life. We can be so busy with the administration and the organization of life that we forget life itself. What do we learn from the fact that these dear people went to their homes, to the farm, to the business? We learn... That all of us have to be careful to not be so busy with the things of the present. Good things. Be so careful not to be so busy with the things of the present that we forget the things of eternity. Amen. There is further incredible truth in verse 11 to 14, which I'd hope to get today. Get to today. And, and some of you, if you read it and you're, you're, you're wondering about it, you're thinking, what in the world do verses 11, 11 12, and 13 say and mean? We're going to get to those verses next Sunday, next Sunday. Read them, see if you can figure out what Jesus is saying to us in verses 11, 12 and 13. But for today, I want you, I want you to reflect upon these Super Bowl truths from the parable. Of the great feast. Remember. The Lord invites you and me. To have a reservation. In heaven. Have you made your reservation? The Lord's invitation is to a life of joy. In the present. And in heaven. May the joy of the Lord. Be your strength. It is wonderful how patient the Lord is with us. But we never know when the opportunity might run out to respond to his love and grace and mercy, to respond to his invitation for us to become a part of his family and to become a part of the great celebration in heaven someday. And be careful to not be so busy with the things of the present that we forget the things of eternity. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these incredible truths that you communicate to us through the parable of the great feast. Lord, I pray that you would touch each of our hearts and lives so that truly we want to respond to these truths. We want to respond, Lord, in accordance with wherever we are at in our spiritual journey with you. Let it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.